Think of childhood as the foundation of a house. Think of adulthood as the house. It is certainly possible to build a house with a flawed foundation, and in fact it may look exactly like the same as a well-built house. But if the foundation is cracked, crooked, or weak, it will not be an important source of strength and security. It's not a noticeable flaw, but it could place the structure of the house itself at risk. One strong wind and it comes tumbling down. Adults who grew up emotionally neglected often seem normal on the surface, but are frequently unaware of the structural flaw in their foundation. They also have no idea that their childhood played a role. Instead, they tend to blame themselves for whatever difficulties they may be experiencing life. Why do other people seem happier than me? Why is it easier to give than to receive? Why do I not feel closer to my loved ones? What is missing within me? Empty feelings arise from not having been filled up emotionally as a child. Something was missing in your connection with your parents, a fullness in the quality and or quantity of emotional connection as a child. Let's think of the quality of your family's emotional connection as a fuel grade. A child who grows up with enough regular octane or above will probably not have a problem with emptiness as an adult. If you received lower grade fuel as a child and you are experiencing emptiness as an adult, there's a good chance that you may not be providing your own children with enough high octane fuel. If this rings a bell for you, it's very important to realize that this is not your fault. You can't give your child what you don't have yourself. Also, it's important that you know that there is a solution to this dilemma. It's not a simple formula. It's not a checklist. It has nothing to do with changing your behavior. In fact, the only way to give your child what you don't have yourself is to provide yourself with what you don't have. Only then can your child benefit. Heal thyself because you're running on empty. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, July 25th, 2016, and we're still running on empty here, or that's the theme we've been exploring this month. By way of quick update, we still have our Summer Book Club episode to look forward to, but after that, as per usual, the program goes into summer hiatus for the month of August. Of course, you'll be able to find both Will and I in Washington State for the Olympia Sync Summit, August 18th through 20th. Info available at thesyncbook.com. Our August Syncbook Plus member hangout will also take place then and there. Today, our July theme of Running on Empty comes to a close with an exploration of emotional neglect. An invisible force from your childhood which you can't see, but may be affecting you profoundly to this day. It is about what didn't happen in your child, what wasn't said, and what cannot be remembered. And we'll consider this today with author and clinical psychologist Jonas Webb. Dr. Webb is the author of Running on Empty, Overcome Your Childhood Emotional Neglect, published in 2012 by Morgan James Publishing. If you think you should be happy, but for some reason aren't, perhaps this book may answer some of your questions. Dr. Webb has a strong background in research, psychological testing, and psychotherapy. Webb has been the director of three large outpatient clinics over the course of her career and currently has a private psychotherapy practice in Lexington, Massachusetts, 
where she specializes in the treatment of couples and adolescents. More information about her and resources regarding emotional neglect can be found on her website, drjonasweb.com, which, to which we'll link. It's an honor to have her join us today. How are you doing, Dr. Webb? I'm good, Douglas. Thanks for having me. You bet. We'll start in a an interesting spot, which is the idea of synchronicity, which is just meaningful coincidence. But I, for whatever reason, I kind of zeroed in on the phrase running on empty and just cast a net based on that for the shows that I've done in July. And that's how I found your book. But it's interesting to me in that people who are deeply seeking meaning may themselves be empty for reasons that they don't understand or know. Mm -hmm. What would you say about that? I would say that's what I wrote this book about, and that's why I called it Running on Empty. Um, because there, I've discovered in, work, in my work as a psychologist that the world is filled with people who grew up with a very subtle, often subtle, parental failure. Their parents simply failed to validate their emotions enough and failed to respond enough to their feelings. And this is something that a child doesn't, is not aware of. Even an adult, an adult who's nearby who sees this happening will not notice that it's happening. So it's very subtle. It's very invisible. Our brains don't record it. Our minds don't remember it. And yet it causes the child to wall off his feelings in order to survive in his childhood home. The child gets the message that his emotions are really not important and aren't welcome and are unnecessary and therefore grows up to treat his own emotions that way. And this has a profound effect on how connected and fulfilled that child will be as an adult. A metaphor that I end up using a lot is the idea of like a computer programming Mm-hmm. And so the idea of one becoming aware of their programming, so that childhood programs them to behave a certain way, the thing that I'm wondering or not clear about is can one change their programming? How difficult is that? If you Having an awareness of why you behave the way you behave is one thing, but then some of this is so deeply ingrained it seems impossible to change. Yeah, I totally understand what you mean. Um, and I think that the programming metaphor is a good one. You know, imagine that a child is basically being raised is being programmed. It's your brain being programmed to run and take you through adulthood. And an important program that parents are supposed to give their children is the emotional one how to acknowledge and accept and recognize and identify and share their emotions in proper and healthy ways. Parents who under-respond to their children emotionally fail to install that program. So the child grows up without that program, but the computer can, you know, you can still learn the program. It's um, a matter of learning how to do all those things I just mentioned. Identify your emotions, be aware when you're having one, learn how to express them, learn when to express them and when to keep them to yourself, learn how to deal with emotions in relationships. These are all skills 
and they can all be learned. So that's why I say there is an answer and there is a solution. Hmm. Well, so one of the other things that's a curiosity to me is that sometimes when we look out on the landscape of both like scientists and artists and politicians, one of the reasons why they're so uh, like successful or able to do what they do is because they were somehow damaged as a child. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's almost like they're wearing their scars, but that this, so like particularly I'm thinking about Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Have you ever considered how how <laughs> perhaps the reason why he was so successful is because maybe he was so broken? Mhm. Yeah. Um I know exactly what you're you're saying. Um childhood trauma and pain can make people more connected with their emotions in some ways. Is that is that your what you're trying to say? It can make them more um, creative or more expressive in some way. Um, but I think that what we're talking about here is more a sense of emptiness and a lack of meaning. And that search for meaning can drive people to you know create things or develop things that maybe they never would have. I mean, we don't know. Perhaps people like Robin Williams or Michael Jackson might have been just as creative if they had grown up in a different way. Yeah, and that, that I guess that's more the thought where what kind of drive you have based on the emptiness or whatever it is, the lack, the motivation I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Robin Williams is a really good example. In fact, I wrote a blog about that, um, that when you, you know, when he grew up with, with blatant emotional neglect, as far as I can tell from what I've read. And it seems like he was really, in some ways, his creativity was driven by trying to connect with people in the only way that he knew how, which was humor, which is a more intellectual exercise rather than emotional. So, you can connect with people emotionally, but it doesn't, I mean, intellectually, but it doesn't fulfill you emotionally. Emotion is what really connects us to people and um, gives our lives meaning and makes us feel like we're not alone deep down. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. And I also mentioned like scientists in that like artists kind of um, because it seems like when whenever or writers whenever you put yourself out there you're Mm -hmm. really exposing your own your own childhood in in some way Mm -hmm. and so like I think of oh uh, the naked ape is one of those scientific theories or there's a book called sex at dawn and so it's almost like (laughs) <laughs> your own kinks come out in your scientific theory, even though they seem plausible at the time. Later on, another culture will say, oh, you can see <laughs> where this was coming from or something. Um, I- I'm just wondering how pervasive this is in our society. Do you think that everyone has some sort of lack or? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think it's a matter of degree, 
almost everyone is failed by their parents emotionally in some way. And it might leave you with little, little bits and pieces that are missing. And I think everybody has something. But most people aren't really greatly impacted by those little emotional parental failures. It has to reach a certain level to do the kind of, um, you know, to have a bigger effect on how you're going to experience your adult life. So um, it can be either a large number of chronic, subtle parental failures to validate the child emotionally, or it can be just a few very severe, deeply impactful episodes. Um, some people are, are literally defined by their emotional neglect, and others just have little pockets of it. But I think pretty much everyone is affected by it in one way or another. Just some people don't, you know, don't suffer as much from it. Well, so here's like an interesting qualification. So you could have a family where they have like like an instance of uh, just basic neglect. Okay, here's the family. They go to Las Vegas and the, the parents leave the kids in a hotel room for three days by themselves or something like this. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, the parents still love the children. And so they have this great story about <laughs> this moment of the parents lowest moment or something but uh-huh. they still have a, 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 an emotional center let's say mm-hmm. but then you can have a family that is the kids are completely taken care of they have clothes their food they're driven to soccer practice and whatnot but the actual emotional center is completely lacking mm-hmm. and so although they don't have the story of the time that they had to survive on jelly beans and Capri Suns, you know, in a hotel room or something like that, they might not be as emotionally capable of functioning as an adult because of just an overall lack? Yes. That second group you described, not the hotel room kids, but the other group whose parents do everything for them and have a fine home and provide them with food and clothing and everything, but don't deal with emotion in their household. Those are the people that have the sort of across the board type of emotional neglect struggle, which causes difficulty, you know, sensing that they're, you know, feeling like their life has meaning, feeling connected with people, feeling fulfilled. The first group, the hotel room kids, might be actually quite fine, except they may grow up to have some difficulty believing that people who love them and are there for them will not fail them catastrophically in some way, someday. So they may hold themselves back a little bit in relationships, for example, or when they grow up and fall in love with someone, they may anticipate that they'll, that person is going to do the equivalent of leaving them for three days. Well, so I'm going to spoil your, the end of your book a little bit. You you talk about how this field or this this uh, way of looking at this hasn't really been considered in the literature before. Is that right? Um, yeah, not in the way that I'm talking about it. And that has to do with attachment theory. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean it. It is basically attachment theory, um, but it's just taken to a much more subtle and defined level. What I'm doing with it, attachment theory is basically that every child needs to feel 
attachment with their parents in order to grow up to be healthy, functioning adults. And that's just common knowledge across the board. Every mental health professional knows that. Lots of lay people know that. Um, but what I'm talking about is the exact way that the attachment occurs and how how emotional it is, the quality of the emotional attachment and, and the actual way that the parent responds to the child. Would it help if I give a little example of childhood emotional neglect happening? Please. Okay. Well, let's say that um, a 10-year-old child, we'll call him Tony, he gets in a, a fight um, in school. His, his, his uh, friends suddenly turn on him at the playground and they end up in a fight and they start, you know, being really mean to him in a way that has never happened before. And so Tony gets very upset. He goes home from school and he's feeling angry and hurt and kind of shocked and alone. And he's in this mood. He gets off the bus, goes home and his parents don't notice that anything is wrong or different. They go about their day. They take him to soccer. They give him dinner. They're busy. They're loving parents. They give him everything, but no one notices that anything is wrong. So that's an example of childhood emotional neglect in action. So when Tony grows up, he'll remember everything that his parents gave him, all they did for him, and how much they loved him. He won't remember that no one asked him about that one seemingly small, regular, sort of normal childhood incident or helped him manage his feelings or acknowledge them or dealt with them. And so what Tony will do as a child is he'll push his feelings, he'll wall them off because the message that his parents are giving him, if they do this often enough and don't notice his feelings, the message he's getting from them is that his feelings are unimportant and don't matter. So as an adult, he'll have his feelings walled off and he'll treat them like they're irrelevant. And this is what leads to this syndrome of being essentially disconnected from yourself and feeling alone and kind of living in a gray world where there's not enough meaning. And then I wonder, in terms of technology, and it seems like every generation says, oh my gosh, I can't believe where, where we've arrived. Mm -hmm. But then there are other people that say, oh no, it's always been like this. This is how it is. Having looked at it, do you sense that emotionally as a species we're better or that it's the same or it gets worse? Because of technology? Just because of progress, I guess, or as society changes? Well, I think that um, in general, parents are becoming more aware of attachment and the need to, you know, be present for their child. Um, and in some ways, there's a bit of a backlash with, you know, the whole helicopter parenting business, where parents are so on top of their children and so worried about their every feeling and their every experience that it goes too far in the other direction. Um, but that can, believe it or not, constitute emotional neglect as well, because if parents are overly jumping on every need of their child and far overly concerned 
um, and taking too much responsibility for their child's experience. They're not letting the child learn what the child needs to learn or letting the child even have his feelings or learn how to deal with them. So I think that um, what we're striving for is something in the middle where, which I'm hoping we'll get to in the next generation or perhaps the next one, where parents recognize, where parents really understand how important emotions are with their children and how to help them, you know, by walking that moderate line of noticing and caring without taking over and acknowledging and validating without, you know, overindulging and becoming overattentive. So the really, really interesting thing to me, it has to do with just what strange creatures we are, that this is like, do you sense that this is something that animals also require, like emotional connection with their, I'm just, I'm, and then also like the notion of story as far as, it seems like we have these different components that all evolved at the same time and they're necessary for us to function correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting you mentioned animals. Animals require connection, too, with their parents. They require attachment. You know, even chicks, little baby chicks, you've heard of imprinting. You know, the mother gets imprinted on the chick's brain. Uh-huh. And the chick follows the mother around, and if that fails, it causes problems for the chick as it grows up. Um, you know, attachment has been shown over and over to be a part of many, many animals' lives. Um, and But humans are, you know, we are a different species. We stand on our own. We have much more complex brains, and, you know, we have different levels of our brain that developed at, at different times. The, the one part setting us most apart from animals being our the cerebral cortex. And so we have this processing power that animals don't have, and it does make it far more difficult for us. This is why I'm so careful about making sure parents understand that they, you know, I'm not blaming them. Parents are doing the best that they can, and many are just doing what they were you know, they're just raising their children the way they were raised themselves because it's all that it's all we know, right? Um, I think there's it's just such a complicated process because we're such complicated beings, and we're still figuring it out after all these years, and we'll continue to be figuring it out for a long time to come, I assume. Well, exactly, because it's your parents' fault, but at the same time, you can't really blame them because they were just using what they had. It's like this ripple in a pond where a stone is cast, and it, I just feel like it goes on forever. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Very, very true. But I don't know how you go back to the original wound to, mm-hmm. to heal. Well, the first step is seeing it. Um, once you're aware of it, it makes a huge difference because the problem for most people who grew up with enough emotional neglect to leave them um, with this sort of footprint um, of emotional neglect is that they don't know what's wrong. So they feel like they're different from everyone else in some in undefinable way. And they feel kind of lost in a way that other people around them don't seem to be. They feel kind of alone no matter how many people 
say they love them. And they just sense that something is wrong, but they don't know why. And usually they blame it on themselves. They just say, well, I'm just inherently flawed somehow. And all of that really takes a toll over your lifespan. So becoming aware of what's wrong is a huge step that sort of sets you up to fix it. You can't fix what you don't know is wrong. So once you recognize that it's not your fault and that it's just something that was passed down to you and, you know, maybe it wasn't your parents' fault either and that there is a solution, um, it really makes a huge difference. And then you can take the steps towards healing. Just again to reiterate, like what the result of emotional neglect is. It's a lack of connection or... Uh, could you list some of those things again? Sure. Um, it's a, a general feeling of emptiness, um, a fear of depending on other people, a sort of a lack of self-knowledge, um, poor compassion for yourself, but usually most people with emotional neglect feel feel compassion for other people, just not much for themselves. Um, a sense of guilt and shame, like what's wrong with me and, you know, how did I do this to myself? There's self-directed anger and self-blame. There's a general, what I call a fatal flaw, which is this deeply felt sense that something is wrong with you. Um, you might have trouble nurturing yourself and nurturing others. Poor, a lot of people suffer, um, struggle with self-discipline because um, they didn't learn how to discipline themselves as children. That could be a part of emotional neglect. And one of the biggest is uh, what I call alexithymia, which is not a commonly known word, but it basically means um, being very unaware of emotion. So it, you could call it, you know, not a very good emotional IQ or sort of poor emotional awareness. So that's the picture of the neglected child once they're grown up. Huh. Well, with alex alexithymia, mm -hmm. it's interesting because it kind of triggers this thought about, uh, it seems like autistic children really lack an awareness of... Well, no, I don't the know. emotional, like emotion, yeah. Emotion and connection. I'm just curious. That that's a totally different tangent from where your book is, because this is more of a conscious psychological, yeah, yeah, consciousness, aware of this. But that is a medical condition that seems. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people ask me about that. I think it's because there is so much more autism these days. Yeah and Asperger's, and we're trying to figure this out, and everyone's sort of confused by the whole thing. But I, you know, I think what you were trying to say is what, what I would say about it, um, and that is that, that autism and Asperger's are, I think, more biologically based, yeah. whereas this is more um, a psychological slash emotional way of treating your emotions that's passed down that way, not genetically so much. Uh -huh. well, so what is counterdependence? That's another term that came up in your book. Mm -hmm. when, you, um, when you're a child and you're, you have, 
you know, you have emotions and you have emotional needs and your parents don't respond, or if they give you the message that they don't want to hear about it, whether that's either directly or indirectly, usually it's indirectly, um, the, the child learns this really important lesson, which is don't, don't have needs. It's bad to have needs. So the lesson that the child takes from that is don't rely on anyone, don't need anyone, don't depend on anyone because it's wrong or you'll be disappointed or you'll be hurt. Um, it makes you look weak. And this is how, so counterdependence is basically a fear of depending on someone else. It's almost like a phobia of depending on someone else. Um, and so it makes it, for therapists, it makes it really hard to help people that have, you know, who grew up emotionally neglected because they can't keep them in therapy long enough. They feel guilty or weak just going to therapy. It seems like narcissism is the is the word in the news these days all the time. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, how does, how do you, what creates a narcissist? Does that feed into this somewhere too? Yeah, um, it's narcissism is a very different picture. It's kind of the opposite of the one that I'm painting. Uh huh. Um, be, because narcissists are all about themselves, right? They want to get their own needs met. They only nurture themselves. They only take care of themselves. They really only care about themselves. And um, emotional neglect is a part of a narcissist development, but it's only a small part. It, to get to be narcissistic, you also need to have parents who doted on you um, or put you on a pedestal, but for the wrong reasons. Um, they either taught you that you were special and they ignored all of your flaws or they ignored, you know, your deeply personal, most emotional self. Instead, they just fed you a line of how great you are that was probably not even accurate. Um, also, some level of trauma is usually involved for most um, narcissistic people. It re it's just a whole different picture, really, that just has one little piece of it is emotional neglect. And then, so perhaps the narcissist, it's almost like... <laughs> The way it was with superheroes and bad guys, the the bad guy begets the superhero who begets the bad guy. There's this chain. So the narcissist might raise the emotionally neglected child that mm -hmm. would read your book and find solace in it because their parent was self-absorbed with their own needs and therefore the child realized that having needs is not something they should do. That's a perfect example. The narcissistic parent is one of the parent types that I identified in my book. And it's one of the most common ones that I see. And, you know, if you grow up with a parent who's looking at in the mirror all the time, metaphorically, they're not looking at you, their child. And so that's how you grow up, not being seen. Yeah. And then I think the child is, they see them as a reflection of themselves only in that it's not as a separate thing, but as a, another piece of themselves. Yes, yes, exactly. 
children of narcissists don't really get to have an identity to their parents. The, like um, the parent, for example, who is the president of a bank, I'm totally making this up, um, insists that they're, he insists that his child is going to be a banker too because he has this vision of how they're going to, you know, become a, a huge banking force. And that has nothing to do with who the child is. The parent can't see the child at all. Maybe the child is actually more of a a bricklayer or something, but the child will never be seen by his parents. Hmm. Something else that we've been trying to really come to grips with in this past month especially is there's this time in a in a child's life when they purposely kind of take off the ideology that they they rebel against their parents' ideology mm-hmm. and they try different things on. But it seems like because it just seems like the stakes have really gone up because we have so many more children doing horrific deeds on like a big scale to get negative attention. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm just curious about your thoughts on this, this idea of, in in your 20s just taking all you know all your another metaphor would be a lens you you a child has this lens that their parents gives them and that's how they see the world but then you remove it and you have no lens and then you're trying to figure out and make sense of why the world is the way it is and you try on different things to see what makes sense and it just seems like because of the internet you can you can try on a lot of different thoughts that aren't necessarily good thoughts or they, they give you a really skewed sense of reality mm-hmm. and sometimes the response young people have is the, like the idea that reality isn't real that this is a video game or that this is a this is a bad movie or a bad dream yeah i, I are you referring to the shooters a lot of example? shooters lately yeah I think to rise to that level, you have to have pretty severe mental disturbance. And I think that's one thing that the press is not good about talking about that. I mean, really, these young men who do this, in, in my opinion, are mentally disturbed for sure. You don't take a, a kid who doesn't have, you know, severe psychiatric illness and turn him into a shooter. It just, it just doesn't happen. And so then is it is it lack of emotion or the culture or what what's producing all these shooters? Um well I think it's I think it's a combination of another of a number of factors um, including parents who you know it could be partly biological you know I think they've taken apart the brains of some of these I hope they're they're doing autopsies on the brains of these young men, um, that's a good question, Mm -hmm. because I believe they've found variations in the, in the brains of, you know, mass shooters before. So I really think there's something biologically going on. Um, it could, you know, there could be, I'm sure most of them don't have any idea how to deal with their emotions. They must all have a lot of rage and probably, some of them, it's from childhood trauma, 
and um, some of them have diagnosable psychiatric conditions. Although, you know, again, to complicate matters further, it's been proven that psychiatric conditions are not a risk factor for people to become dangerous. On the other hand, a lot of people who become dangerous do have psychological, you know, have psychiatric conditions of some kind. So I, th- I think it's just a complex picture of a lot of different factors. Do they have access to a gun, for example? Do they have anybody to talk to? Is there, you know, usually they're described as loners in one way or another. So that, that says a lot. They feel disconnected. They feel victimized. They're probably traumatized. They have a lot of rage they don't know what to do with, and they have a gun accessible. Hmm. It's disturbing. Well, and then so... Where is your hope level? Do you feel like we're running on entry as a society and culture? Uh, I don't know. I would make a sweeping statement like that. I think there are a lot of people who are running on empty. I think there are also a lot of people who, under, who are in touch with themselves and who really do know what to do with their emotions and are pretty well able to be healthy responsive parents. So I do have hope. I feel like the more we talk about this stuff, the more people understand it, the better parents they'll be because the better they'll be able to fill their own blind spots and fill up themselves and then they'll have more to give their kids. So I have lots of hope. And this book came out in 2012. Have you, mm-hmm. Have you? I know uh, with a lot of scientist books, they, they do patient work for years and then they turn the years of patient work into a, a study that they put into a book what are, what are you working on and tell us what you've been doing since 2012 well I've developed an online um, recovery program for childhood emotional neglect and through that program I'm doing a study to try to learn more about it and um, also I've developed a very targeted treatment program that is is um, what this recovery program is all about, and I'm trying to evaluate how effective that is. Uh, so I'm trying to just get more data and learn more about what helps the most and, and what doesn't and how to help people recover in the most efficient way possible. In the book, you mention a lot of uh, changes Forms mm-hmm. it, are those the, are those part of your website still? Yep, um, they're in the book and they're also on my website um, under the book tab of my website. Uh huh. And so, as I mentioned, there are resources for people if if they've been listening to this show and they say, "Oh, well, maybe this is an avenue that I've never really explored." Mm hmm. What they can do is go to my website and sign up for my newsletter, and they'll receive um, a questionnaire that I created that helps you know if you have childhood emotional neglect, since it's not very memorable. And most people don't realize whether they have it or not. The questionnaire helps you figure that out. And then also I have a weekly blog on psychcentral.com. It's the Childhood Emotional Neglect page of psychcentral.com, and I write a blog on there every week, and there's... Uh, there are a lot of articles on there that come at it from every different direction that anyone can look at and get information and try to figure out if this is something that affects them. 
And so would you say, since you've written this book, that more attention has come to this aspect and field and that it's something that's uh, becoming more prevalent? It's very much so, yes. There are a lot of people talking about it that weren't talking about it before. Um, there was a novel written based on a emotionally neglected person. Um, it's been featured on Psychology Today and other other writers are writing about it. So I certainly see a lot of interest and a lot of a, a big uptick in attention, which was my goal in the first place, so I'm delighted. Yeah, I was actually, when I was reading your book, I had the thought of, of a, a writer being aware enough about childhood neglect to know to be able to write a character from that point of view mm-hmm. who themselves. So if the author, and that was the thing that really tickled me is I could see how an author could write a, a good childhood neglect character if they themselves came from that point of view. Mm-hmm. But then the idea that the writer would write one with enough awareness to know that, so they, they're creating purely a fictional situation that <laughs> scientific, mm-hmm. scientifically was uh, solid enough, a real enough character. I just I found, what, what, what is the name of this novel that you're talking about? Um, it's actually, uh, it hasn't been named yet. I don't think I can tell you the name because okay. they're probably going to change it. And sure. it's not yet published. It's not yet published. Um, but I did read it. It's really excellent. It'll be, I'll put it, um, it'll be on my Facebook page when it comes out for sure. Okay, well, we're just about done. Do we have, are, can we expect another book from you anytime in, in the nearest future? Or? Well, um, it's interesting you ask that. I'm just in the process of probably starting another book. So, so probably yes. Probably yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. You've been listening to Dr. Jonas Webb on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio on the SyncBook.com. Be sure and check out our website at drjonaswebb.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guest to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the host. All this more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And the fuel of life is feeling. If we were not filled up in childhood, we must fill ourselves in adulthood. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves running on empty. Thanks for all you've shown us This is how we feel Come sit next to me Pour yourself some tea Just like Grandma made when Couldn't bite me Things were better then Once but never again We've all left the den And tight right Choo train left right on Yeah.